This is Right from the Deep. I'm Karen Ball. And I'm Aaron Taylor Young. And this is the podcast from writers for writers, answering the question, why am I doing this? <laughs> As writers, editors, and a former literary agent, we're in the deep with you. Bringing interviews, inspiration, and information to encourage, refresh, and equip you to embrace the deep, to find your truest story, your truest message in the deep places. You can get the episode show notes, lots more information and encouragement, and your free audio download, Five Crucial Ways to Safeguard Your Writer's Heart, at writefromthedeep.com. Hey guys, here's what's happening in the Right From The Deep world. Well, don't forget about our new resource, (laughs) guys, to help you fight those negative messages that sneak into your heart and your mind and tell you things like that you're not good enough or that you're not really a real writer. You know, our Going Deeper workshop, which is about overcoming damaging self-talk, it'll help you speak and know the truth. Find out more about it at writefromthedeep.teachable.com. You can still get the course at our introductory price of just $49 through the end of September. Yeah, and thank you guys to all of our patrons on Patreon. We are so grateful for your support. It demonstrates that you guys think this podcast is valuable and you want us to keep doing it. So thank you. And special thanks to our September sponsor of the month, Tammy Partlow. Yay! Her novel, Blood Beneath the Pines, is now available at retailers. It's set mostly in the Deep South, and it's a tale of prevailing justice. So check it out. Yeah, you can find out more about Tammy and her book at TammyPartlow.com. T-A-M-M-Y-P-A-R-T-L-O-W.com. And now, here's Here's the the show! Hello, listeners. Welcome to The Deep. Welcome. We're so glad you're here with us because we have an interview. I'm so glad we're here with Beth White, and I'm going to let Karen tell you all about her. Beth is really terrific. Now, she grew up in the South, specifically North Mississippi, Hmm. and it has a rich tradition of fostering writers, storytellers, and musicians. She's fond of both music and literature, so she amuses herself by teaching chorus and piano in an inner-city public high school by day, (laughs) which I consider the bravest (laughs) of the brave. And she also conducts a secret life as a romance writer by night. (laughs) She tends to be something of a hermit in real life, which I think is pretty normal for most writers. Except in the classroom and on her computer, she's more of an extrovert. And she loves to know what makes her readers tick and what ticks them off and what makes them smile. So, hey, if you like what you hear from Beth today, check her out at www.bethwhite.net. So, welcome, Beth. We're delighted to have you here. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here with you. I hope you can uh, bear with my little Southern accent here. Yeah, I was going to say, the minute you started speaking, it'd be no doubt that you grew up in the South. <laughs> so yeah, Beth, well, I'm in, I'm in South Alabama now, so it's even worse. So. Oh, my. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So that's, it's the deep South. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So About us. as deep as you go without falling into the Gulf of Mexico. So there you go. <laughs> so aside from deep South, what, what does the deep mean to you? you, Beth? Well, I was really uh, interested in what you ladies explained to me when you were, you know, and when I listened to a couple of podcasts to kind of figure out what you were doing. And I like the idea that deep is both deep waters as in the challenges that hit us, but it's also deep into a spiritual walk with God. And that really hits me uh, right now as, as I'm finishing the last 
you know, 10, 20,000 words of a book. Um, <laughs> this is where it gets really deep, you know. So. Draw that out for us. What What is that? Um, it, it sounds like it's hard. <laughs> Tell us about <laughs> that kind of challenge, that finishing challenge. Oh, my goodness. Who was it that said writing a book is like shoving a refrigerator up a hill? Uh, <laughs> I'm glad it was up a hill. <laughs> yeah. Well, up a hill. Yeah. That's so true because, and it, the whole thing is hard. Right. But the, this last part where all of the balls are up in the air and the story is uh, boiled, you know, and it's just everything is cooking all at once. There are all the characters are in there. Everybody's problems have risen to the top. And now it's my job to make everybody happy again by the end of the book. (laughs) Yeah, that's not easy. So I'm praying so hard. I'm just feeling so inadequate and um, overwhelmed by the, by drawing this thing to a satisfactory conclusion so that it makes sense. And so that all of the plot threads are pulled together, if not tied up in a neat bow, then at least a satisfactory ending. That's hard. It is hard. Now, when you and I worked together, when I was at Zondervan and you were writing for Zondervan, you were writing romances, which was very cool. Um, But I think you're writing more historical books now. Right. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Uh, I I did do pretty much romantic comedies or romantic suspense um, Mm -hmm. for a long, long time. And um, I did write a historical or two kind of in that mix, just kind of because I felt like it. And then uh, once I had quit writing for Zondervan, I took a long break, probably about two to two and a half years. Didn't write much of anything. Um, I thought about it a lot and I lived a lot of life and kind of planned some stories. But then when it came time to actually pull together a proposal again, after I kind of got over the burnout thing, there's a couple of directions I could have either kept doing what I was doing, mm-hmm. um, which didn't seem to be selling as well as I wanted it to, or I could kind of take off in a new direction. And so um, I had had an idea for a historical series that I had been wanting to do for a long time. And it was uh, kind of based on an idea of a, of a series that I really enjoyed when I was just a reader before I ever published. If you're familiar with Ellsworth Thane, uh, she was a British-American writer who wrote a, a series of novels back in the 30s called the Williamsburg series. It was based on a family in the Williamsburg, Virginia area, and it took them all the way from the American Revolution through World War II, wow. which was going on at the time. And uh, I just loved that series. The, the idea of taking this family and the generations of that family just really sparked my my own creative juice. And I thought, well, what what if I did that on the Gulf Coast of the Alabama, Florida, Mississippi Gulf Coast? Mm -hmm. And so I developed an idea for telling the story of how the Gulf Coast was settled from the uh, French colonial period. And that sold to Ravel uh, about five or six years ago. So they did that series for me. And so I've been writing for them since. And the historical stuff has just been, it's been a lot of fun. You know, I've, I've enjoyed delving into the history of the place where I live. It's interesting. It's different from anything else in the rest of the United States because it's so multicultural. Right. And I'll talk about that in, in a minute, the whole multicultural aspect of it. But um, anyway, yeah, so I've been writing historicals and just kind of left the 
<laughs> the contemporary stuff behind. I'm still writing romance. That's still my favorite thing. Yeah. Mm. So you mentioned that one of the things that that you think about a lot and that you even talk about is how real life bleeds into fiction. So can you share some of that with us? Yeah, and it kind of uh, uh, I'll kind of jump off of what I said a second ago about the 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 cultural thing. When I became a teacher in the public school system, I had been retired for a little while while I was getting my children, you know, through their uh, middle school years. Yeah, <laughs> I was kind of teaching private uh, music lessons uh, while they were in in middle school and high school. And when I got ready to go back and teach full time again, by then I had gotten an English degree. And because I thought I'm writing, why not go, just go ahead and, you know, major in, in English and, and teach what I really like? Well, then the first job I went to interview for, they were looking at my background and saw all this music stuff. And the principal looked at me, he goes, well, you've taught music for your whole life. What are you doing here? <laughs> you know, wanting I'm to playing teach. for English right? <laughs> for an English position. And I, I just you know, I explained how, how I've been a writer and I thought I wanted right. to do that. He goes, well. We need a music teacher right now. I've got kids sitting down in the choir room with no teacher. They're watching videos. They need. Would you please consider coming back and teaching music again? And I was just like completely caught off guard. I had <laughs> that was completely off my radar, and so I had to get recertified to teach music. Long story wow. short, that's what I did. I wound up teaching music in this inner city high school, 100% black population. And I was the first white teacher that they had had ever in that school. I wow. mean, not, not teacher, but I was the first white choir teacher. And they were not at all sure that this middle-aged white lady was going <laughs> to sing their kind of music. And, um, I mean, it, they, had, uh, they were very well-trained children. I'm not saying they weren't. They were wonderful singers. I mean, I went in there, and when I realized what I had a hold of musically, I was in heaven. I mean, these children could sing the paint off the walls. Wow. And they were reading. Uh, it was a difficult situation um, as far as pretty pretty low uh, socioeconomic status. Nobody had any money, but my goodness, they could sing. So we had a really good time. And as I got to know these kids that were so different, I mean, my back, my upbringing was very middle class, blue collar suburban white, you know, the whole thing. But as I got to know them and got kind of immersed in that culture, which, I, you know, I'm not going to lie to you, it was really, really different than yeah. the way that way I grew up, what I was used to. But I really loved it, enjoyed it, and enjoyed the differences. So anyway, leading to the writing thing, as I got to know these kids, I thought, how did we get here? How did we get from my suburban white upbringing and how did these kids get all clustered together in this one little community and there there's in mobile it's a it's a really unique city because there's really wealthy old money hmm. in spots it's a little bit like charleston south carolina something like that and then there are spots where it is so desperately poor and so uh, and the black culture is just so kind of isolated. And, and it's not like there's intentional segregation. It's just kind of the natural way the city has settled, you know, mm -hmm. over the years. And as I began to realize that and realize how that their experience of life was so much different from mine, I thought, I've got to explore this a little bit. I've got to figure out how did we get here? 
Hmm. How, what happened to create this situation here? And of course, I, you know, I grew up knowing about, you know, mm-hmm. I came up during the, the segregation era during the 70s when they were beginning to bus and desegregate yeah. high schools and all that. And so I was aware of that, but just my general experience was just ignorance, honestly. Hmm. I was just ignorant. So I set myself to trace, <laughs> this is my ambitious overachiever kind of thought process. I want to trace when the first white people got here on the Gulf Coast, how do we get here? And so I moved my fictional family uh, that I created, the, the, the Lanier family, uh, from fr- the French colonial period through the American Revolution, through the uh, War of 1812. And, and now I'm exploring more Mississippi, but it's, it's kind of the same thing. And now I'm dealing with post-Civil War era, hmm. which is, oh my goodness, Reconstruction. I knew nothing about Reconstruction. Nobody knows anything about Reconstruction yeah. because it's difficult. People were not very nice. Yeah, it's ugly. Just, it's ugly. an ugly, brutal time. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, so the Civil War was bad, but right after the Civil War, mm. yeah, yeah. So, what have you? What do you see in all of that research, and what have you learned from the kids that you're working with about faith and how that comes in to play in the midst of all this turmoil and racial animus? That's a really difficult question. You know, I can look at it from my perspective of what have what have I personally learned about faith, and then what am I demonstrating to my students about my faith and about my compassion. I discovered that I was not nearly as compassionate a person as I <laughs> assumed that I was. Aren't, you know? aren't we all not? <laughs> Man, we always want to, we we all want to be the hero of our own story and think of ourselves as being generous and, and kind and thinking of, you know, thinking of the other person and putting ourselves in the other person's shoes. And, you know, maybe to a, to a degree, but I don't think I ever got around to literally thinking about what it might feel like to be in a black skin, you know, with coarse hair mm-hmm. and with a different worship expression even right you know all of that is all of that's kind of different and i'm not saying that one or the other is wrong it's just it's just different and so i've been learning faith-wise i've been learning to ask god to help me feel another person's difficulty and experience and that's a tall order Mm -hmm. you know and there there are people on you know, when we have these political disagreements that you see in the media all the time and people on both sides want to say, well, you're not being a real Christian. if." Da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah, and we love to throw that around. <laughs> it's just it's just a really hard thing to read the Bible exactly like it is and really absorb it into the expression of every day. This is how I'm going to treat people. Right. You know, I'm not there yet. I thought, you know, here's here's an interesting thing. After teaching at the other, I, I'm at a, a different high school now. Okay, mm-hmm. so I was at this 100% black high school for eight years. And I thought, okay, well, I've learned enough now. I can go back into a, a mixed culture school and take what I've learned. And I should be fine, right? <laughs> I should be okay. 
I have had more emotional eruptions in myself and in my students in this school where I'm now, which is about a quarter white, probably 50% black, and then another quarter would be Asian or Arab and other and, and Hispanic and other mixtures. So it's a really, truly a multicultural experience. But we've had, uh, I've seen just really scary eruptions of misunderstanding and defensiveness and those kinds of things. It's crazy. And it's people who really go to church and they, they think, you know, they consider their faith walk to be the, the real deal. And then, and then somebody gets offended, and it's just a, it's a difficult thing. Wow. We, well, you know, the world is so broken apart and, and so diverse, but often in a bad way, diverse in their stands and being able to, you know, there is really no such thing as tolerance there in, in a lot of the groups. It's, it's more either you think the way I do or you know, there's something wrong with you or whatever. So um, it's, it's something that we all need to think about in our lives. And as we're writing, how do we, how do we become bridges in that situation instead of someone who just, you know, exacerbates the division? I want to jump from this to, you had uh, mentioned an idea of dreams and obedience about being a writer, about considering where a writer's passion for creation intersects with God's will in that person's life. I think you told us a little about that when you went in intending to get this job and ended up with a different job. You know, um, God, it seems like God keeps taking you on these holy detours in your journey. So, um, or as you, you put it in an email to me, how far does one persist? in pursuing something she longs to do or be, such as a writer or a musician, as opposed to pursuing things that she's afraid of, like mm-hmm. teaching and public speaking. And and I think that those two years, two, three years you took away from writing, that was a courageous thing to do. Um, probably if you were in burnout, you felt like you couldn't do anything else. But still, folks mm-hmm. are afraid to step away from what they know and take a risk on stepping into something else. So why don't you talk about that for a few minutes we have left? Okay. And this is my my poor husband has put up with so many of these ma- like major <laughs> shifts. And I think I want to be this when I grow up. I don't know, really. I don't think I want to do that when I grow up. I think I because <laughs> I, I really I trained to be a musician all the way through my thirties, and I just thought I was going to be Sandy Patty and uh, you know have a recording career, <laughs> and that never happened. And I was really mortally insulted with the Lord that. <laughs> He did not choose that for me. Uh, yes. And and we changed, we moved, changed churches. You know, my husband's a pastor. And so, right. or not, he's not a preacher, but he's a pastor. And and so he, uh, we made a, a big shift, went from one big church to another big church and his job changed. And I moved from a choir soloist position where I was really comfortable being a soloist into this new church where nobody knew me. And I, and so I went from singing at least once a month, a solo to zero. You know, I was playing in the or- playing my flute in the orchestra and kind of behind the scenes and that kind of thing, a little bit of singing in the choir. But it was just a really shocking change. And at first, as you can imagine, I was just really mad. I was just really angry <laughs> yeah. and upset that that happened. But then the longer I stayed there and kind of the longer 
God kept his thumb on me and said, no, don't move. (laughs) You stay right there. And you you do you do the thing that I've got for you now, and that's where the writing publishing thing kind of took off. I really right. began to do that, and I got really comfortable with just being below the radar, writing my book, staying behind a computer in a cave, never being on the stage in a spotlight anymore. And until the point came where I looked around one day and realized I like this. <laughs> I like this. The pressure is off. I don't have to worry about memorizing lyrics anymore. That is just very freeing. And so <laughs> it's so cool, you know, when God takes you from a point of resentment over, quote, taking something away from you. Well, here's this other beautiful thing I have for you. How would you like this? And I have learned as I've gotten older that that is such a cool thing. I've kind of quit fighting mm. over releasing the things that I love. So honestly, listen to me, y'all. That is a scary thing to say out loud because that's like saying, okay, God, I really like this publishing thing, but if you want to take it away from me, I believe you got something else. Mm -hmm. And and I'm sitting here crying because I don't, I don't want that to go away. I like that. But, um, but if God says that he's got something else, then okay, then we do that. Wow. I love, though, that you're coming from that place of experience. You're coming yeah. from that place of hardship, of resentment, of difficulty, and then trust, because you saw how he worked it out for you, and you saw how he knew you better than you knew yourself. And now oh, you can tell us all from your experience. That's the that's the beauty part. That's one of the things I love best about when we talk to other authors. Everybody's gone through these experiences, and we share them. That's what the body of Christ is all about. So thank you for being brave and sharing that with us because it'll help people. We're pretty much out of time, but you have some other topics that I really want to hear about, like some harrowing experiences <laughs> that God took you through. So we will plan on having you back. We'll figure oh, that out in the schedule. It's been great. Um, we're grateful for your time here, and we're grateful for all that God is doing through you, not just your books, but the way that you're touching these young lives when you intersect with them. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for being willing to let go and let God make you into what he wants you to be. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it so much. Thanks, You bet. Hey, guys. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you found it helpful. And if you know someone else who needs this podcast, please share it. You can find backlist episodes and lots more resources at our website, rightfromthedeep.com. Yep. We'd love to connect with you guys there. So until next time, embrace the deep. Your writing and your life will never be the same. Amen. Amen. Amen.